My name is Aaron Menikoff, and you are listening to Reclamation Worship. I'm Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Thank you for taking the time to come and listen to another episode of Reclamation Worship. I'm so thankful for Aaron Minikoff, a dear brother, a dear friend, a mentor. He's a pastor, and he is also the founder of Feed My Sheep, a one-day conference for pastors and lay leaders. He meets annually at Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Sandy Springs, Georgia, and I will link to information about that conference in the show notes at reclamationworship.com. And so while you're at reclamationworship.com, please consider supporting us financially. So thank you so much for those who are supporting us financially, and I would greatly appreciate you considering doing this. It helps us in maintaining the site and all the expenses that go along with doing this podcast. And so If you uh, click on that support button in the middle of the homepage, it will walk you through the steps and what you need to do uh, to be able to throw a couple of dollars our way. All right, let's head on over to the interview. Well, Aaron Minikoff, thank you so much for joining me for Reclamation Worship. It's great to be here. So Aaron, tell us about yourself and uh, what you're doing currently. Well, I am a pastor at Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Sandy Springs, Georgia, which is just north of the city of Atlanta. I'm a husband. I'm a father of four, including one that we adopted a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And uh, I've been in the Atlanta area since 2008, uh, serving this local church here after doing some studies in uh, Louisville, Kentucky at Southern Seminary and spending some time in D.C. at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. But originally... I hail from Oregon, so I'm a long way from my original home. Okay, is it Oregon or Oregon? It is definitely Oregon. Oregon. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. All yes. Right. Good to know. All right. So who says Oregon? People not from there? That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, right. people from far away. Okay. Because <laughs> in the movies, they, they want you to believe that it's Oregon. Yeah. So. No, it is. Trust me. Okay. It's It's Oregon. So you were raised there, born, raised in well, Oregon. I was, I was born in Hawaii. Okay. My parents divorced when uh, I was about one, and my mom moved to Oregon because her mom had moved there a few years ago. Okay. So that's where I grew up. Okay. So um, I spent second grade in Hawaii, but uh, I got rainy Oregon instead of sunny Hawaii as nice. a kid. My brother and sister lived with my dad in Hawaii, and I lived in Oregon. Okay. So tell me how the Lord saved you. So I did not grow up going to church. Um, we had one maybe experience. I remember as a kid going to Salvation Army service at one point in time, but just didn't grow up with any exposure to the church at all. And in fact, um, it's sad to say that you know, growing up in the secular Pacific Northwest, I had very little exposure to Christianity. And um, I, I, I recall not being able to tell the difference between Billy Graham and Jimmy Swaggart. Mm which sounds, you know, absolutely absurd, mm. but I just didn't know anything about Christianity. Everything I learned about Christianity, I learned from watching television. And so I just had it in my mind that uh, that Christians were all all dumb. Mm-hmm. And of course, of course that's not true, but I didn't know anything except what I saw on TV. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, I met a girl 
And uh, she, we, we were in a, an English class together, and we ended up uh, going together to see a play as part of a class assignment. And I discovered as we were out that she was a Christian. And I was really stunned because she was the smartest girl in school. She wound up being the salutatorian, and the valedictorian was a male. So she was the smartest girl in school. And it really... Mm really struck me that she was a believer mm. in Jesus Christ. And so we're out, and somehow or other during this play, we were able to talk. I asked her a question, and she basically says, you know, yes, Aaron, if that's what you believe, and that's how you live your life, I think you're going to hell. Mm. And that's when I think the Holy Spirit first began to work in me. Uh, he used her boldness mm. to let me know that uh, that hell is real. Now, I didn't believe it at the time, but that's when I started pursuing Christianity, started attending church occasionally with her, hearing the gospel at church, the, 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 the bare-bones gospel. There wasn't much solid teaching at the church that I was going to, but there was enough gospel for me to be saved. Uh, I recall praying the sinner's prayer again and again and again, just hoping it would stick mm -hmm. at one point in time. Mm -hmm. I don't know when it stuck for sure, mm -hmm. but at, toward the end of my freshman year of college, I was baptized, mm -hmm. and by God's grace, I've been walking with the Lord ever since. Great. Remind me where you did your undergrad? The University of Oregon. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate that. Um, I marvel at how the Lord works in our lives in, in all the various ways, and so um, it's always good to hear. Well, and I'm stories. thankful for that gal's boldness mm -hmm. to tell me that she thought I was going to hell because wow. I don't know if I'd be here right now had she not been so bold. So that she was an instrument in God's hand. Praise God. Yeah, that's great. So I found out about you through um, a uh, a young lady at our church. Um, her parents go to our church. Mm -hmm. Uh, the church where I uh, am on staff, and um, I used a Sibs quote in a sermon, and she and her husband, who are members of your church, mm -hmm. uh, said, you should meet our pastor. I think you would like him. And so, oddly enough, you had Feed My Sheep coming up, um, and I signed up for that and came and uh, got to meet you and was so thankful for your heart for the local church. Um, so... Do you mind taking just a moment to share about Feed My Sheep, what that is, and for pastors who are listening and are in the Atlanta area? Sure, sure. Yeah. But I also remember a number of years ago, you came all the way to Moultrie, Georgia. I did. Where John Unwachequa and Brad Evangelista and I were doing a little Nine Marks thing. That's right. And I, you brought your son. Yes. And that was great to see your just your hunger for uh, for the gospel mm. uh, over that over that uh, that little conference. Feed My Sheep, we started seven years ago at Mount Vernon. Um we wanted uh, we wanted pastors in the Atlanta area to know one another, mm. and we're, was even hopeful to see it go beyond simply you know Baptists mm -hmm. in Atlanta. Though I'd say it's predominantly the brothers who come and sisters are predominantly Baptistic, but we wanted a place where people in pastoral ministry could come and um, and not just be well fed. I mean, you think you can be well fed at a lot of conferences and through podcasts and the teaching in your own church, but really we wanted to be together. Mm. And that's what Feed My Sheep was started to do. And I've been really encouraged because, you know, relationships, you know, developed, pastors get to know one another, they end up having fellowship throughout the year. And that's the advantage of a conference like Feed My Sheep. So mm. we're really targeting the Atlanta metro area. We're certainly happy for people to come from further away. But for now, it's a one-day conference, and I think that inevitably 
sort of limits the scope of the yeah. people that we're going to reach. But uh, we want the, obviously we want the teaching to be great, and um, and so I try to bring in a brother from from outside our area, sort of speak into our area, and then find another pastor in the area, usually another pastor, to speak as well. So okay. we really enjoy doing it. Great. Are those resources available online if somebody wants to check them out? They are all online at the Mount Vernon Baptist Church website. Okay. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Great. Good. Well, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, I uh, wanted to talk about church discipline, and uh, I knew you were um, of, of all my friends in ministry, you were one of the guys that I've wanted to talk to about this because of your heart for the local church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we hear this phrase, church discipline, and, and immediately our minds race to the negative. Um, yeah. Somebody being uh, brought before a, a board or a group of uh, men and uh, told that they are in sin and, you know, get in line or, or else right. leave. Right. Um, but church discipline is so much bigger than that. Wanted to look at this verse from Hebrews 13. It's verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we think of this um, process of soul care. I know that might sound like a a weird way to put it um, because. the world has sort of co-opted that, that right. word soul. And so I think we, we hear soul care and we think, well, what does he mean by that? Well, um, caring for uh, the people who are a part of our churches. Mm-hmm. That's all I mean by mm-hmm. that. Um, but the writer of this letter uh, to the Hebrews and in other places in Scripture, we see of uh, how important it is to mind the soul and to care for the soul. And so could we talk for just a little bit about um, – how you see that being done in the weekly life here at Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. And then uh, maybe we could get into talking about um, both the two sides of, uh, of church discipline. So how, how is it that you and the elders here at Mount Vernon um, care for the souls of the members of this church? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first, the first thing that we do is try to constantly teach the congregation from the Bible so that they uh, understand what God would have them do. Mm. So um, as a congregation committed to the authority of God's Word and the sufficiency of Scripture, I mean, we know that every page in Scripture is going to point to our Savior who humbled himself um, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we know that every page of Scripture points to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And if you're a if you're a a believer, you've been transformed by that gospel, then you have the Holy Spirit in you, and inevitably, it's your desire to be Christ-like in your daily life, mm-hmm. and that is going to mean serving others. And so, at, at one level, discipleship, soul care, mm-hmm. it's about uh, having a heart to serve other people. And what do we need more than anything? Well, more than anything, we need to grow in grace and in godliness. Uh, We need food. We need water. Absolutely. We need bread. We need all of that. But more than anything, we need the grace and mercy of God. So as elders, we're constantly encouraging the members of Mount Vernon to care for one another Mm. the way that, 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 that Christ so generously cares for us. So that may be a little counterintuitive because I think we're used to thinking about You've got elders, you've got a congregation, and the elders care for the body. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely true. But I think the place to begin is recognizing 
that uh, everyone in the church is exhorted, is is called by Scripture to exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that your heart will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews Mm -hmm. 3.13. So we shepherd the body by reminding the body of their responsibility mm-hmm. to shepherd one another. That's good. Now there are other, you know, practical things we do. I mean, we just had an elders meeting a few days ago and you know we we prayed through a whole host of members. We talked about a whole host of shepherding issues. Uh, we fill our schedule with meetings with individuals. We encourage women's ministry so that we can Make sure that you know women who aren't necessarily not necessarily going to have a one-on-one meeting with a pastor. They might, mm-hmm. but not as often right. as the men in the church. We want to encourage all of that by way of soul care. Mm. That's great. So, why is it? Uh, do you think um, that when we hear this word church discipline, we think immediately of the corrective aspect of that? Well, because discipline in the English language has simply taken on a negative mm. tone. Yeah. I mean, you think of, if you think about disciplining your kids, the first thing you're going to think about is some type of corporal punishment or timeout, something like that. So I think that view has simply carried over into discussions uh, uh, in church life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we think of uh, discipline. In our daily lives, whether it be disciplining our kids, like you just mentioned, or uh, knowing that we need to discipline our own bodies, getting on the treadmill or right. eating right or whatever, it, it does have a negative connotation. Right. But uh, the word discipline really is a friendly word to us. Yeah, we're to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's the the commission of the church is to be disciple makers uh, we have the word discipleship, yeah. and discipline is a is a is a similar word. Yeah. You know, I discipline my children not merely when you know they are sent to time out right. when they were younger, um, but I discipline them by by talking to them about the Lord, okay. by trying to present them a godly example of a father. All of that is is discipline. So the passage that I mentioned a few moments ago, Hebrews three thirteen, exhort one another every day. Well, that exhortation is that's discipline. Mm. You know, you're exhorting or encouraging another brother or sister to to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Mm. That's discipline. Yeah. Uh, there could be um, a correction. You know, the exhortation doesn't necessarily include correction. Yeah. It might just be, you know, Jason. I want to exhort you to be a great dad. You know, I'm not saying you're a bad dad. I'm right. just exhorting you to be a great dad. But there also could be a, a word of correction, mm-hmm. which is discipline as well. You know, like, Jason, I see this, you know, in your life. It looks like, you know, it looks like you're having a, a hard time just really rejoicing the Lord. Talk to me about that. What's going on? And maybe I need to correct you and remind you of the gospel. That could be a word of correction. Yeah, There could be a word of warning. You know, it may be that I've been correcting you for a while and... Um, you just don't seem to have ears to hear. And as best I can tell, the word I'm giving you is right from the Bible. And uh, and so I might warn you, like, like brother, it doesn't look like you're on a good path. Mm. Can we talk about that? Right. And um, But if those warnings are unheeded, and what I'm warning you about is serious enough to warrant mm. other action, well, then we're going to start thinking about Matthew 18 and That's 1 right. Corinthians 5. And uh, that path that Jesus and then Paul l- say leads to a congregation yeah. taking action to say we can no longer affirm 
that you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. And that's what most people think of first sure. when they think about church discipline. But right. it's really what we should think of last. Mm. That's a good word that you mentioned, though, that even corrective discipline starts from the bottom up. Or if you want to you know, talk about it in other terms, congregationally, rather than from the top down with leadership toward the congregation. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah and so I think <clears throat> even in Matthew 18, that's what's happening. The corrective discipline is starting by one brother coming to another and making them aware of this issue that's Yeah, and it's a brother who, who cares enough about the soul. You know, I mean, it's it's we're all wronged, and you know, love covers over a multitude of sins. There, there are there are times to overlook an offense. So the last thing we want to do is have churches that are just filled with people who are constantly going to one another and saying, "Hey, you wronged me." Right. I mean, we're sinful people. We're constantly wronging one another. Right. But there are times when the sin can't be overlooked, and so you've got. A brother who lo or a sister who loves another brother or sister enough to go up and say, you know, I love you. This happened. You yeah. did this to me, or I saw this happen, and I'm concerned for you. And you know, I want to gently, you know, call you to repent. Mm -hmm. And that's a loving thing to do. And yeah. I don't think we think of of love in those terms that's right. as much as we should. Yeah, it seems like we are so hypersensitive nowadays that we. Um, by and large, and I'm generalizing here, that if someone comes to us with a concern like that, um, immediately we we think, well, they're the one at fault. It can't possibly be me. Right. Um, and and so I, I think even in my own experiences that I've had with folks, mm -hmm. the flesh rises up and immediately you think, well, it's got to be them. It can't be me. Yes. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, um, an understandable and a, and a bad default. Yeah. I mean, I remember I've gotten counsel in the past, you know, someone said, if someone comes to you with, with, with criticism, you know, it's, it's, it's good to think that there's, there's probably, probably some truth there. Mm. And, um, that's just a humble attitude. You know, we don't know ourselves as well as we, as we think we do. We don't know the effect we're having on others as much as we think we do. And we are in desperate need of people around us who love us enough to speak the truth in love. Yeah. And that's really what a, what, a, what a church is. So our, certainly our elders at Mount Vernon, we are regularly dealing with situations where there are members of the church who are struggling with sin and ha are having a hard time either seeing it, mm -hmm. they're having a hard time uh, experiencing or expressing godly sorrow. Mm -hmm. They're having a hard time relationally with others. And so the elders are constantly dealing with those issues. And I think that's one of the reasons why God gave churches elders, that you would have some men wise enough to really roll up their sleeves and get involved in some of these messy situations. But that is only a, a small component of the, dis, of the discipline yeah. that's going on in our church. Yeah. I think, you know, I know that there are women, you know, experiencing discipleship you know, over lunch today, mm. or as they're hang, as, as they're um, having having lunch, as they're having a play date, uh, same things happening with men, and all of that, in a sense, is church discipline. Mm. You mentioned um, in your testimony how grateful you were for the young lady who was bold enough to say that if you continued on in that trajectory that right. you were thinking or, or acting in. Um, that you were bound for hell, and, and so it seems like, and in, in some of the things that you've said, the 
main purpose of God's wisdom to us in church discipline, whether corrective or formative, is to save us from hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in thinking about it in those terms, you know, I, my fear is that most um, Christians do not give a second's notice or thought to church discipline during their week. Um, and so if we are to think about it in terms of, um, of how the Bible has laid it out, um, we should see it as a gift to us that, uh, that God has given us this, um, this grand uh, method of caring for one another, um, loving one another, um, to the point where we are all looking out for one another and we are all concerned for each other's souls. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts on – and we look at, at the, the sweep um, of Hebrews and, and what's happening through through that letter. Um, any thoughts on what's happening from that writer to the audience, to the readers, and how that could uh, apply to us today in in our churches? In other words, uh, the writer was concerned for the souls of the audience, sure, asking them to keep their eyes and be mindful of uh, their daily walk and, and how they were. Uh, you know, being tempted to drift or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. Um, how applicable is this letter to the Hebrews to us today? Well, that's an easy question. It's very, it's very applicable. Uh, you know, in Hebrews, you've got you've got men and women who were tempted to drift away from Christianity. Persecution is on the rise. Mm-hmm. They want to go back to their Jewish roots, and uh, what is their concern? Well, their concern is that Jesus isn't quite as good as they thought he was. Mm-hmm. And so the author of Hebrews reminds them, you know, Jesus is better than the angels, and he's the fulfillment of the law. In that sense, he's better than, than Moses. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 3 re- reminds them of the generations, you know, years and years ago of, of, of Israelites who were in the wilderness, and they were, they were wandering, and they were wandering because they didn't believe the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they didn't trust God to care for them and protect them. And in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So in the rest of Hebrews, you're going to have this glorious unpacking of the gospel. Mm. We need a Savior. We need an atoning sacrifice. We need propitiation to be made for our sins. But right there, really the headwaters of the book, he's reminding both his audience and us that we need to take care Mm. lest we be found out to have an evil, unbelieving heart. So I remember a few years ago uh, talking to a, a dear brother, and uh, we were we were going to be working together soon as elders. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this brother said to me, Aaron, on one hand, I'd love to work with you as an elder. But on the other hand, I'm concerned because as we've had interactions and conflict, I've noticed that you are often very harsh mm. towards me. And without resolution on this particular issue that I see in your life, I don't know how we're going to work together well as elders. Well, at that point, I had a couple of options. I mean, one is I could have said, well, you, man, you are oversensitive. And if you're this sensitive, I don't know that you have the tough enough you know, skin to be an elder. Right. That would have been one option. Right. But another option was to go, oh, Maybe he sees something that I don't see. Mm. And so let's bring in a couple, since, I, since I'm an elder, right. let's go ahead and bring in a couple other elders mm. that can help speak into my life, 
let's assume that what he's saying for the moment is is accurate. Mm-hmm. And what do I need to to learn from this? And I think that if I had just simply pushed back, I would be at risk of not heeding mm. the words of the author of Hebrews who said, you know, take care mm-hmm. lest there be in, in, in me mm. an evil, unbelieving heart. So I think you don't want, again, so let's go to the, let's go to the, um, the danger. Yeah. How could this be taken poorly? Well, I think it's taken poorly if, you're, if you go to a church and the culture of the church is one of skepticism. Mm-hmm. In other words, everyone is always skeptical that your salvation is genuine. Yeah. That is not a healthy church. That is not a good place to be. If anything, if a church has a healthy membership, we should have a culture where we're assuming, in fact, that if you are a member, you are a Christian. Mm-hmm. So we, I don't want to be skeptical of your salvation. If anything, if I see you questioning your assurance and you're a member of the church, I just want to encourage you, like, brother, sister, don't you remember mm. that we welcomed you into membership? We saw evidences of grace in your life. So that should be the norm. Yeah. Um, but we're all going to sin. And it's always good that mm-hmm. when someone points out your sin, when someone is skeptical of godliness in your life, right. that you're going to embrace it. And I think that's what, that's what the author of Hebrews, he leads us in that direction in chapter 3. He takes us to the cross. And then you brought us to the very end of Hebrews, where we, where it's clear that that leaders in churches have a unique responsibility to oversee the the members of the church, mm-hmm. the culture of the church, where discipleship is happening organically. Yeah. Um, any any thoughts uh, on how people who are laymen and women could see this, uh, see church discipline, formative or corrective, um, begin happening in their church? Well, I think it's important for us to always begin with ourselves. And um, one thing that we've really encouraged at at our church is the communication of this reality that if you're a Christian, you should be personally, regularly, and deliberately helping another Christian, Mm -hmm. and particularly a Christian in your local church, grow in Christ-likeness. Okay. I think that's what it means to be a disciple maker. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to exclude evangelism. It begins with evangelism, but it doesn't disciple making doesn't stop at conversion. Right. And so if you look at your own life, I think you need to be asking the question, am I personally encouraging someone? In other words, is it is it face to face? I think good things can happen over social media. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this podcast. But there's nothing like sitting across a table from someone and being able to look them in the eye mm-hmm. and being able to say, how are you doing spiritually? Mm-hmm. So that's personal. right? I think it needs to be regular. I think there can be some cultures where that's the type of thing that happens maybe once a year at the men's retreat. And I don't think once a year is enough. So I, I don't want to define what regular is. I'm not saying it needs to be every day or every week, but it needs to be regular. And then it needs to be deliberate mm-hmm. where you go beyond talking about your job or talking about even the kids and you actually get to talking about your own heart Mm. and a church that doesn't have members engaged in one another's lives in that way personal regular and deliberate Mm -hmm. helping of one another grow in christ likeness i think it's going to be very hard to see church discipline Mm. Uh, both formative and corrective happening. Okay, so that's what that's where I would encourage everybody to start. I mean, just do do that. You know, fold people into your life. Right. That's good. And, and oddly enough, it's very. I've observed pastoring in Atlanta 
that it's very counterintuitive to a lot of Christians to actually see church like that. Mm. So it's yeah. a good thing to to see from the Bible. Is it too overly simplistic to say then, uh, based off what you just said, that if you are actively making disciples, that church discipline will be happening? Well, if you're actively making disciples, church discipline, as you and I are understanding it, will will be happening. Yeah. Uh, you, inevitably, you will still have to have elders, pastors, church leaders who are leading out and actually taking the final step when necessary. Yeah. So I, I think... It's fair to say that you can be doing everything you should be doing as a church member, but if you, if you don't have a leadership mm-hmm. that is uh, really committed to living out, you know, Matthew eighteen and First Corinthians five, and uh, you're probably not going to see it happen as robustly as it should be happening. Okay, that's for sure. That's good. So I want to take a sharp turn here and um, mention uh, this issue of um, abuse in the church. Um, just yesterday, I'm not sure yet when this uh, episode will will come out, but just yesterday, uh, many of us heard of this article from the Houston Chronicle detailing um, really extensive abuse uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. This is, you know, really just um, not news to us because we're aware, obviously, of abuses that happen in the church, not just the Southern Baptist Convention. People who are uh, assuming that church leadership has uh, the best intentions, right? And and mm-hmm. people are uh, giving themselves over to the care uh, of church leadership. And so how can, and, and again, this is a sharp turn from church discipline to sure. this, but in thinking about caring for our people, and ultimately that's what we're doing with church discipline, um, how can we think more wisely about protecting um, our church members, our flocks from abuse? Mm-hmm. Big, wide question. I, I realize this, but thoughts? Well, it is, it is a wide question, and it's something that you have to be concerned about for every member of the flock. Um, I think when we hear abuse, our minds typically go to children, so I think I'll, I'll begin there yeah. and just say that uh, in, in the 21st century, where churches have become places where children's ministry tends to be a significant portion of the church's programming and where we provide opportunities for children to be taught um, together in groups, it is incumbent upon churches to do an excellent job ensuring that they have the policies and procedures in place so that children are safe when they're on, when they're in our facilities and even beyond our facilities when there's you know any any uh, activity uh, taking place under the oversight of the church mm-hmm. so i don't want to neglect the reality that you have fathers and mothers abusing children in the home i'm simply saying i'm beginning with the reality that if right. you're a you know if you're a local church you have a responsibility to make sure that the children uh, are safe when they are as you put it sort of uh, on uh, under your care yeah um, you know, how you do that, we, a few years ago, you know, we, we uh, revamped our child protection policies. We've, we very recently uh, required everyone who wants to be involved in children's ministry to sit through a very intensive program to help train them mm-hmm. on this particular topic of child abuse. 
So uh, local churches here and abroad need to raise the standard of uh, who they are allowing to come in contact with mm. their children and uh, to make sure that those contexts are one where the children are protected, which, may, which means, you know, children not being, you know, one-on-one with another adult. Anyway, there's a ton of details, sure, sure. but the, the overall picture is a child protection policy. That's good. Yeah, so if you are listening to this and um, you're not sure what your church policies are or you're sure that your church has no policies on it, that's something that you should take to your leadership um, and uh, and ask them to consider. And if you're in church leadership, that's something that you should uh, begin formulating with your um, co-leaders or with uh, some kind of advisory board or with your elders. Um, it, and, it is, and a great place to start, Deepak Reju, the associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, he wrote a book a few years ago on this very topic. And so that would be a great place to start, great. Deepak Reju's book on abuse. Okay, I'll link it in the show notes. So that's good. Yeah, this is something that is um, completely unacceptable. And if we are uh, going to be caring for people's souls, then um, then we have to make sure that we are above reproach and that we are caring for um, them and, and looking after, after them, because after all, they are trusting us and uh, coming to us weekly. Um, and so the very least we owe them is that we are vetting those who are going to be taking care of them and uh, putting systems in place right. yeah, where we are watching out. So I guess the connection point for this, and I said a minute ago that it's a pretty sharp turn, but circling back around to thinking about church discipline, I, I can see situations where someone who is brought under corrective discipline could very easily say, I feel abused in this. So how can, and again, we're going back, circling back around to church discipline. If we are in a situation where um, where someone is coming under corrective discipline, how can we assure that we're doing everything possible for this to not come across as, as being abusive? Well, if I could pull back for just a moment, you know, I was just in Zephaniah chapter three on Sunday morning, and the prophet addresses in Zephaniah 3.3, 3, the officials or, or princes of the land, the judges of the land, the prophets of the land, or the priests of the land. And he does what you see Jeremiah doing in Lamentations and other prophets doing, and they're indicting the leadership of Israel uh, for poor leadership, and mm-hmm. not just poor leadership. Uh, Jeremiah is very clear that the blood of the Israelites is on their hands mm-hmm. at the fall of, of uh, Jerusalem to Babylon because of the leadership, because of the the abusive behavior of the leaders, the dereliction of duty. And so clearly, as, as elders, as, as parents, as husbands, as employers, but I want to think specifically about the church, mm-hmm. as elders, we clearly have a responsibility to shepherd the flock tenderly, mm. to protect them, and to do everything we can to make sure that they are safe. We need to be aware that authority is good, and we need to be aware that authority can be and often is abused. Mm. And churches that don't do a good job of teaching both those things are going to, on one hand, have a hard time protecting the flock, because Mm. it takes a certain amount of authority to protect the flock. You've got to be able to say no to those who would harm the flock, but it also requires an awareness that people are coming to you having been mm. abused, mm-hmm. 
skeptical of leadership. And you know, I think good elders are going to be aware of that. And that is going to help shape their approach to very difficult counseling mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. where a wife would say she's being abused by her husband. I think a godly elder is going to be aware that authority is real. It can be abused and he's going to be quick to listen and quick to believe someone who says they've been abused. And uh, when it comes to church discipline, he also has to be aware, corrective church discipline, excommunication, that uh, there are going to be those who might make claims that simply aren't true. Mm. And uh, that's where it's incumbent upon the elders not only to be as wise as they possibly can, but to obey Jesus and to take it to the church Mm -hmm. and not take it upon themselves merely as an elder body to say, this is going to happen, but to say, congregation, this is what we see, this is what we recommend, Mm And um, and we'd encourage you to think and pray about it and talk about it talk about it so that we can come back and address it. And so when I know I just gave, said a lot there, but when all that is sort of done, I think you've got a, a culture where it's going to be more difficult for someone to justifiably accuse a church or an elder body of dereliction of duty mm-hmm. or neglect or or harshness mm-hmm. or abuse. It seems to me that um, in this world that we live in, that a church that is practicing church discipline, whether formative or corrective, um, it's going to stand out. It's going to look um, unusual, at least, to uh, to this dying world that we're in. And again, I guess this just goes hand in hand with discipleship. But any thoughts on how church discipline can be a, a means of uh, proclaiming the gospel to a, to a dying world? A few a few months ago, we were at a um, a fellowship meal. We we sometimes stay after the Lord's Supper and have a meal together, and get to know one another as a church. And so I was sitting down talking to uh, some relatively new members, and we had just gone through a, a difficult discipline situation where the discipline ended up with excommunication. and And it doesn't happen a lot here, but it, it does happen. And I remember that. The, one of the comments made by the wife was that she felt safe mm. at our church because she knew that we weren't going to simply sweep sin under the rug. Mm. Well, I mean, isn't that a little picture of the gospel? I mean, we worship a God who loves us so much that he's not going to sweep sin under the rug. He's going to address it head on. Mm. He's a God of great wrath, and so that we know that no sin is going to go unpunished. Mm-hmm. And so we can take comfort that even if we don't see justice in this world, a day of reckoning is coming. The day of the Lord is coming when all sin is going to be laid bare and addressed. But we also worship a God of great mercy and grace who says, you know, come to me. And on that cross, Jesus who knew no sin, became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. All of that is dependent upon this idea that God is not going to ignore ignore sin. Mm. And so I think when 
when discipleship is handled well, mm-hmm. from the beginning stages of encouragement to the final stages of excommunication, something of the glory of God is going to be manifest in the local church because you're going to get a taste both of his of his wrath, of his judgment, of his of his of his uh, divine desire to say no to sin, mm. but also his amazing grace in being able to say, even though you are a sinner, I provided a way out through the blood of Christ. Mm. And in church discipline properly done, I think you see that. You see both God's judgment towards sin and you see grace. And that really is the point of corrective church discipline. It's restoration. Mm-hmm. You know, as Paul says, that your spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. Mm. So that's that's the goal. Amen. Yeah, amen. That's a great place to leave it. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, brother. Absolutely. I'd like to thank Aaron Minikoff once again for taking the time to sit down with me to talk about this important issue of soul care and church discipline and how they work themselves out in worship. If you would like more information on Feed My Sheep or the book that Aaron mentioned in this podcast by Deepak Reju, you can find those in the show notes at reclamationworship.com. There's also a place where you can reach out to me if you have questions or comments. would love to hear from you. We are on Twitter at ReclamationHQ. We are on Instagram at Reclamation Worship and on Facebook at Reclamation Worship. I would greatly appreciate you following us and liking us and all the various things that you can do on those platforms. And also, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes and subscribing and rating and reviewing this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs>